2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you would join me in prayer, and we will read the word of the Lord. Father, as we have just sung, amazing grace and and can it be. Father, I pray that as we gather today in your name, in your sight, that we are overwhelmed by can it be and amazing grace. And that, Father, as we look at this verse and the power and the impact that it has on our lives, our souls, our eternity. Father, may we be overwhelmed by what you did, the gift that you gave, and what that gift truly is. Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts wide open to the word of truth. Father, I pray that not one of these precious souls this day will walk out of here deceived. It is to your glory, it is to your praise, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Pretty straightforward, really. (laughs) But I have watched people do some weird stuff with this text, which I want to bring you guys back, because we've looked at the giver, we've looked at the gift, and today we're looking at the recipients. But I want to bring it back to the context of what Paul has given us in the letter. Because one of the things that I have watched in my years is that we have a tendency... To want to grab a phrase, uh, maybe a whole verse, uh, maybe a, a, a thought, and eventually we'll pervert it. We'll make it do what we want done. Uh, a friend of mine years ago told me that the Bible is like a prisoner of war. You torture it long enough, it'll say anything. And um, I have watched pastors and laity alike do that on a consistent basis and there's a part of me that says are you out of your minds and then i realize that perhaps they are perhaps they are i've shared with this congregation over the years there are three three things that you have to have to study scripture three okay One is context. The second one is context. And the third one is context. You drop any of those three and you'll be in Waco, Texas with ATF outside. Well, maybe not Waco, but anyway. But it's what happens. And, 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 I, and I try to get people to understand that. When I moved into 2 Corinthians several years ago, I did it because I wanted us as a congregation to see ministry. We'd spent many years in 1 Corinthians to see that personal holiness and the death of self is key. Once that happens, then you move into ministry. There are a lot of people who are in ministry today who shouldn't be. Okay, It's not that they're not saved. Okay, But they have never done a self-evaluation. Um, the ladies are studying Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane was one of the hardest things for me to go through in my entire life. Okay, because it dawned on me, if you are a 
follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You've got to go through Gethsemane. It'll be your own personal Gethsemane. But you've got to come to a point somewhere in there that you realize that it ain't you, it's God. And that's Gethsemane. We like to throw it out there, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really? Really? You can say those words, but do you know what you just said? Okay, and it's amazing that whenever I step into that, the first thing that shows up is me. And God says, no, it ain't you. That's Gethsemane. But that's ministry. And until you have crossed that, you've dealt with you. Okay, now, Christians have this wonderful ability to deal with others. They are awful at dealing with self. Okay, I remember one time I was teaching a Sunday night class and I think we were dealing with demonic warfare and I made this statement. I wake up every morning with a demon. Okay, and of course, my wife was sitting there and they're all going, he just called his wife a demon. And it's not what I meant. What I meant was me. I have the conflict. Hey, I don't, you know, I've, I've had people say, well, you know, if I ever up, go up against Satan, you love the word. I want you with me. I said, I don't want no part of that. Well, you no, no, no. I don't want no part of it. You're going to go fight Satan. All you're going to see is my elbows, my rear end going the opposite direction. <laughs> well, it's true. I don't, I don't need any of that action whatsoever. Okay. And. When I look at ministry, these are the things that I look at because ministry is I have died to self. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The greatest man born of woman was John the Baptist. Jesus said, why? Because I must decrease. He must increase. So when I think about ministry, first and foremost is self. I've got to get self out of the way. It's not a matter of let me tell Jesus what I'm about to do. It is about me being shattered before a holy God saying, what would you have me do? Okay. Once you've stepped into that arena, then you have dealt with self and now you are in the hands of an awesome God. If you back up just a little bit, we go to chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, he is contrasting the old covenant, which is the law, with the new covenant, which is the grace of the living God. Verse 7, he says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. When God was, Moses was in the presence of God, he would come back and his face would reflect the glory of God. Okay? Only one person could do it. Only Moses could go into the presence. All right, but look what he says. How will the ministry of the Spirit, verse 8, fail to be even more with glory? Think about that for a second. 
Because what's he talking about? He's saying under the old covenant, Moses got the law. He was in the presence of God to get the law. And when he came down with the law, and when he was wielding the law, the glory of God was upon him. And he's saying now the new covenant, empowered by the spirit of the living God, should bring more glory than what Moses had. Verse 9 says, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. So Paul sets it up in chapter 3. Let me give you a difference here. Here's the old covenant, the law of condemnation. Isn't that what it is? Take the Ten Commandments. How are you doing with those? Did I tell you if you break one of them, you're guilty of the whole thing? And you're headed for hell. That would be the ministry of condemnation. But yet, God is still glorified in it. Because he's righteous and he's just. Here's the, here's the standard. Okay? And if you don't keep my standard, then I am just in judging you. All right? If the ministry of condemnation, verse 9, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Okay? For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So the glory that was there by God revealing himself that this is my righteous standard has been dwarfed by the glory of God saying, my righteousness I have given. Therefore, it shines brighter. Therefore, when you think about Moses on Mount Sinai and he gets the Shekinah glory on it and he reflects it in the new covenant, the Shekinah glory is there and it gets brighter and brighter. Why? Because it is the righteousness of Christ manifest in the individual. So do you see why when I challenge a person on whether you are really saved or not, why I'm doing it? Because I'm sitting there saying, your glory ain't shining. Now, be careful if you use that statement. (laughs) I've done it once and I thought, I have to think of a better way to phrase that. We have this ministry. Okay? It's a very simple ministry. It is so simple, I'm amazed at how... uh, Muddy, we have made it. Doesn't make sense to me. Drop down there. Verse 16, he says, but when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's contrasting that. They used to put a veil over Moses because the people would freak out seeing the reflected glory of Jesus Christ. He says, but when a person turns to the Lord, when a person turns to Jesus Christ, that veil is now removed. They see clearly. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. There's that crazy word again. Therefore, because of the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we had this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We had this ministry. You understand that? People have bought a lie that says you get saved and you hang out in church Give a little more each month, 
and we'll go hire us some ministers. That's not a truth, people. If you are saved, he says there, we have this ministry. Through where we get deacon from, servant, table waiters. Who? If you are saved. If the veil has been removed from you, you have a ministry. You have a table to serve. I think that's awesome. Verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Some of you have struggled at times because you get discouraged. I shared this and they didn't say the sinner's prayer. Or they didn't repent. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And it just was so depressing. And why would I open my mouth anymore if nobody else is interested? Same reason somebody opened their mouth and their life to you so that you would eventually believe. How can you be discouraged? You know what a discouragement is? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How would you like to have been here among us all? Knowing the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I mean, how depressing would that have been? I don't know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I am grateful. But I understand that I am fighting the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And you see it. And the church is full of them. There's a number of pulpits that have unbelievers. Absolutely. It's mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. Verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ. That's I, a bondservant is a lower level galley slave. They're not even good enough to paddle the boat. They're used as ballast. And then if one of the paddlers die, you get an oar. Woohoo! And yet I, I watch people in the church today who are always trying to bring attention to themselves. Well, that's not a bond servant. Because if I'm only preaching Christ and Him crucified, I get how much glory out of that. I can look and say, it was because of me He got crucified. Woohoo! I, I don't see the room. I don't understand that. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots. It's the pot that was used to take the waste of the house out. Do I need to be more specific? You know, dishwater. <laughs> okay. 
And what you did, it was that pot that you could buy one, get 22 free. Because you could pitch it over the back of the hill, you weren't worried about cleaning it. That's the term he's using. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now remember what he's coming out of. He's just contrasted the old covenant and the new covenant. And he says, now we have a greater glory because of what Christ has done under the new covenant. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. Do you understand why you can't get discouraged now? Because the surpassing power is not of you. It is not your cleverness. It's not your schemes. It's not your methodology. It is of God through this clay pot. All right. Everybody feel pretty good right now? I ain't done. Chapter 5, verse 10. The old clay pots. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's called the Bema Seed. It's the award that the judge of an Olympic competition will pass an evaluation on the competitor. It is also used of the throne that Pilate set on when he stood to evaluate that man, Christ. And he's saying, Clay Potts, you will give an account of what you did in the body. Now the body could be, you know, I've heard... The experts say, well, that means in your earthen body, what you did in your earthen body, you will give an account for the deeds in your earthen body. He said, I've heard other people say, well, it will be for the deeds that you did in the body of Christ. And people ask me, well, which is it? And I say, yes. Because I've learned the hard way that the deeds that I perform in the body of Christ, I'm probably going to do it in my earthen vessel. (laughs) So you can't separate them. Yes. You're going to give an account. Every one of us will give an account. And you know what? You can't blame me. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your husband. You can't blame your grandparents. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame anybody. It's all on you, people. We already tried that. Eve said it was the snake's fault. What did that get her? pains at childbirth and a few other odds and ends. Okay? Adam, he was brilliant. It's God's fault. He made her. Adam, that ain't going to get you nowhere, dude. And it didn't. He says, you will work by the sweat of your brow for no reason. Guess what? Bible's true. <laughs> Verse 11. 
Because that I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. Okay? I have to give an account. Which means that, you know, I, I remember years ago when I was studying, there's only one thing that I can invest in that is eternal. Okay? And it really bummed me out. Sorry. There's only one thing that you can invest in that has eternity with it. And that's the soul of men and women. Nothing else is eternal. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Souls is it. Okay, and you're each going to give a, an account for the deeds that you've done in the body. Who did you speak to? Who did you not speak to? Because I have a fear of the Lord. Why? Because I know I have to stand before Him. I have to give an account of this precious treasure that He put in this earthen vessel. And what was my stewardship of that precious treasure? What did I do with it? I got saved and what? Put it in my safety deposit box. Waiting for the second coming. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are manifest also to your conscience. He says, as I stand before God, I stand with a clear conscience because I'm doing what God has asked me to do. Why? I'm a minister. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I preach Christ and Him crucified, not that I can boast in myself. I'm doing exactly what He's asked me to do. And I'm doing it. I'm fulfilling it. Okay? Whatever the fruit is, it's God's. But then he makes that statement again. We are not commending ourselves to you. It's giving you an occasion to be proud of us. So as you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. These were the attacks that were coming against the Apostle Paul. Verse 15. He died for all. So that they who might, who live, might know what? No longer live for themselves. Do you see what, why I would question a person's salvation? If you're living for yourselves, do you really think that's hard to spot? Just look at the humanity. Humanity lives for itself. Okay, um, I remember Castro coming to power in Cuba. Okay, because, do you know why? He wanted to get rid of the dictator. That's what he wanted. He's going to get rid of the dictator. Overthrow him. So we can have a democracy. Well, that worked well. He lived for himself. They all do. And they all tell you they're trying to help you, don't they? Why? That's human nature. Let me tell you how important you are to me as long as I benefit. I, I, I mean, we, we sit around and we think, well, I just can't believe they're... Why not? It's human nature. We like to think everybody's taking care of us. I know that their concerns are for me. No, they're not. They never have been. I can go out throughout history and prove that. 
But they said they were. Oh, I think they call that fibbing. Hyperbole. Exaggeration for the cause and effect. See, these are the things that I want you to think about because this is what ministry is. Because Paul, speaking of Timothy, says, I have no other one like him. Telling the Philippians. Well, what does that mean, Paul? His concern is for the church and not himself. Why? They no longer live for self, but for Christ. Now listen, that is easy to spot. Absolutely easy to spot. Because there are those who are out there who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Because in verse 17, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I mean, do you understand how bizarre in our lives to have someone who is selfless? Stands out to a selfish humanity. And we actually call them weak. You ever notice that? Some of the greatest leaders that the world has ever seen have been selfless leaders. And they get into trouble when they become Selfish. Um, the ladies just finished up 30 days with King David. When he was selfless, he was amazing. But it just creeps back in there, doesn't it? it just sneaks right back up, up in there. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden you become important. Verses 18 and 19. All things are from God who, what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God had to intervene in your life to get the relationship between you and him resolved. And upon doing that, guess what? You are now a minister of reconciliation. That's, that's amazing stuff. You now are one with God. That shattered relationship has been drawn together. And now there's a oneness. Verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the word to us, the word of reconciliation. That's ministry. Do you understand that? I hear everything under the sun is called ministry today. And yet ministry is... God has given me his word 
to preach to mankind that you can be reconciled to a holy, righteous, perfect God. That's ministry. If you're doing anything else and calling it ministry, you've deceived yourself. Because it's not. We have the word of reconciliation. Because God is reconciling the world back to himself. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. We speak for a kingdom. We speak for a government. We are that government, that kingdom's spokesman. We represent that. We are his sovereignty. And anyone who comes against us is coming against he who sent us. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, so do you see the context of 21 now? 21 says, the giver, he made him. God did this. This is God's plan. God didn't get a council together and say, what do you think we ought to do with this? God didn't ask you. He never asked a man, what do you think I ought to do to reconcile you? God says, I have a plan. Christ will be the fulfillment of that plan. He is the giver. Christ is the gift. Now, the recipients. Christ, He, God made, okay, God's plan, Him who knew no sin. That's, that really narrows down the field if you think about it. Okay? God's plan has to have somebody who knew no sin. One. Alright, so we got that narrowed down. Okay? To be sin on our behalf. My sins, your sins, were imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Keep in mind, you're still a clay pot. Okay? But you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because He took your sin and He replaced it with His righteousness. Okay? That's why the glory of the new covenant should shine. Why? The, when you think about the word glory, think about the manifestation of the nature and character of God. In an old clay pot. Okay? I see the attributes of God in you. <laughs> Run around and try that one for a minute. <laughs> Well, you're blind. <laughs> All right. Ready to go here? So that we stop. Who's we? Um, it's really not that hard. Go back to 20. Who are the ambassadors of Christ? It says we. And we beg you on behalf of Christ. 
See, that's that three study habits. Context, context, context. So it has to be the we who are the ambassadors. Those ambassadors. Look at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against this. He has committed to us. So it would be those who have the word of reconciliation. Okay, so it's going to be the ambassadors. And you'll know they're ambassadors of Jesus Christ because they have the word of reconciliation. All right, verse 19. The ministers. Okay, because they have a ministry. Verse 18. Now these things are from God who reconciled us. So these are the ones who have been reconciled to Christ and are his ministers, his table waiters. You can spot them. Why? Because there's so few of them. I mean, that's a tragedy. I mean, we're 2,000 years out from the birth of the church and there's still few. But they're there. You can see them. So they're ambassadors and they are the us in verse 19. They are the ministers. Verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us. You can see them because that relationship of living a life godless is now a life godly. Why? Because the relationship between fallen man and holy God has been brought back together. Because God had a plan. He did it through the person of Jesus Christ. He said, what I will do, the penalty that is due you for your sin, I will put on Christ. And because you're still in that earthen vessel, I will clothe you in his righteousness. I don't know about you, that's make y'all just want to jump up and shout. I mean, you're just like, wow. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who is this? Any man who is in Christ Jesus is what? A new creation. See, at your salvation, okay, the instant you were saved, all right, whenever that was, maybe it's today. Anyway, at that instant, there is a transformation that happens. And all of a sudden, it is no longer you, it is Christ. And you become overwhelmed with that, but you will grow in understanding that. Jesus said, I want you to have life and I want you to have it abundantly. And you know what? I watch humanity on a regular basis chase abundance. And they think that if I get this or 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 maybe one of those and half a dozen of those, then I will have life abundant. No, you'll just have more headaches. My son is in Afghanistan. And one of the things that he says he's in awe of is that the simplicity of their lives. 
They're not worried about health care. They're not worried about anything going on as long as they got three meals a day or as close to three meals a day. Um, they're not worried about their utility bills. They're not worried about cell phones. They're not worried about my internet connection is down. Very few of them even own cars. And they're not concerned about it. He says, usually the average, he says, the communication guy in their company has more technology on his back than most of them's ever seen. And he says, but you know what? They're all smiling and they're all happy and they're all getting along. He says, and you throw a handful of religious idiots into the Am I allowed to say that? Anyway. And he says, now it's just, you know, everybody wants to kill each other. And he says, it comes a family thing. You know, you killed my cousins, I'm coming after you. He says, but there's a simplicity that is there. And you look at our lives right now and you tell me that it's simple. And I will tell you that the bulk of it you brought on yourself. You think if I got this or I got this, I'll have life abundantly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've flown around the world. I understand it. That's kind of cool. Then you realize what you're doing. Wait a minute. I hope this all comes out all right. And you can sit there and you say, well, that's totally awesome. Really? Or is it complicating? These are the things that you and I have to pay attention to because Christ said, I want you to have life abundantly. And what happens is you and I said, this will make my life abundant. Christ says, no, you already have everything you need for Life and godliness. You are lacking nothing. And yet, watch what we pursue. There is a transformation that happens instantaneously to a Christian. You are a new creation. Old things have... But we have this overwhelming desire to hang on to them, don't we? But that one was kind of fun. But ask yourself a question. Was it fulfilling? Well, I wasn't looking for fulfilling. I was looking for fun. We are transformed. We are changed. In the twinkling of an eye. At the moment of our salvation. We are new creations. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All of our sin debt has been taken care of. All of our sin debt from the past, all of our sin debt in the future, all been taken care of. The sins that you're going to commit tomorrow, you don't even know yet. Taken care of. Because you've been changed. But even though that changed has happened, we don't have sufficient righteousness to satisfy the holiness of God. Because we're still in these... As the writer Hebrews calls it, tabernacles, temporary structures. We're in these clay pots, but the precious treasure is inside. So, knowing that our righteousness, even the imputed righteousness of Christ right now, cannot satisfy the holiness of God, He has covered us in the righteousness of Christ. He covers us. You know what that means? You can't see the nakedness. 
the sinful, putrid being. You look down and you see the holy robe of Jesus Christ, which is the manifestation of the glory and the character and the nature of God the Father. Now listen. People throw at me all the time. John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. We're believing him. Okay. See, that means, nah. God gave his son to pay the penalty of sin. But he only imputes his righteousness to those who believe. Okay. The love offering's there. To all. But it doesn't have any effect unless they believe. So the recipients in this text are only those who believe. Because only believers are ambassadors. Only believers are true ministers. Only believers have the word of reconciliation. Only believers are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, righteousness. Right standing before God. That just freaks me out. I, 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 you just sort of, oh. Samson's dad was afraid when he saw an angel. I'm going to die. Okay, I mean, they see holy beings, and it's, uh-oh, it's all coming apart at the seams now. What's it like to be before a holy God? Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus pulled back his humanity. Okay. Freaked the boys out. Didn't it? Peter, <laughs> dude, uh, why don't we just build like an altar here and stay? That's what I'd have done. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere. We've about enough of that. Okay. And I mean, you know, they'd already heard the voices from heaven. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Did you hear that? No, didn't hear nothing. Okay, but to see him pull it back and say, this is the manifest glory of God. I think we ought to just build a tabernacle here. <laughs> Be done with it. Yeah. What else are you going to say? You know, <laughs> I, I, that's Hebrew for I don't know. <laughs> to make us acceptable till he gets us to the ultimate glory of a resurrected body. A body that has no ability to sin. You ever thought about that? That gives me a headache. A body that has no ability to sin. It can't be tempted. It can't be teased. It can't be enticed. It can't sin. It's impossible. Because you will be as Christ. Okay? That's why Christ's body is not in the ground. His body knows no decay. Why? There's no sin there. Alright? This body, my container, Tupperware. <laughs> it's full of leftovers. But anyway. One of these days, they're going to be able to throw it in a ditch or an ashtray or something and say, look, here it is still. But there's coming a time when I will receive a new container. A vessel of honor that has no ability to sin. You ever thought about that? 
Anybody here been angry? That's sin. A body that can never be angry almost takes fun out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> what will I look forward to? I remember thinking, we'll play golf and, you know, you play 18 holes and everybody shoots an 18. I was like, that is, heavenly golf sounds boring. And then it dawned on me, golf causes me to sin, so there is no golf courses. There's coming a time in front of us and I receive a body that is made righteous and I will be out of this earthen vessel. That is so that we might become the what? Righteousness of God. It is for us who are in Christ. That's the recipients. It's not for the whole world. It's for those who believe. Those in Christ. It is us who have been reconciled that he died. Those are the place. That is our place is to be with him. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ is for believers. You got that? Listen, I need to make this emphatic. If you said the sinner's prayer and you believe you're saved, you've deceived yourself. It's got nothing to do with prayer. Nowhere in Holy Scripture does it say, say this prayer and you'll be saved. It doesn't say it. It says, believe that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will be saved. Nowhere in there it says pray. And I'll make it just as simple as I can. Lord, who rules your life? That's salvation. It is easy to spot what's ruling a person's life. Those who would believe he died for our sins. Those who would believe is the us and we and ambassadors and ministers that you see right there. That's the recipients of the giver of God who made a way of reconciliation through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Nowhere in there does it say, say a prayer, walk an aisle. Can't find it. Can't find it. It says, believe that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And confess means just what it says. I agree emphatically that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, that's salvation. The giver is God, the gift is Jesus Christ, and the recipients are those who believe. Next week, we'll look at the reward. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your precious bride, your church. Lord, I pray that we who have ears have heard. Father, that those who do not or who have deceived themselves, today would be the day of their salvation. That they may hear and they may know that they are children of the Most High God. Lord, we who believe are ministers. We have the message of reconciliation. Father, help us to be bold, begging 
people. On behalf of you, Lord, to come unto Christ and be reconciled to a holy God through his holy son. Thank you, Father, for the amazing things you do. Father, thank you for the amazing things you're doing. And Father, may there be an eagerness in each of our hearts for the amazing things you shall do. Father, we love you. And may our love grow with every breath you grace us. That people will understand that 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 is good seen in us is the cloak of righteousness from the Lord Jesus Christ. To your praise and glory. Amen.